Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Treethart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, that show that is still thrumming from the hour-long pitch we made last Saturday during the annual Spokane Public Radio Pledge Drive. Have you two recovered your voices? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> well... That's good because, as always, there's no rest for the weary or solace for those with sore throats. Which means that we now have two more movies to talk about. The first is The Burial, a film based on a real court case involving a small-time owner of a chain of funeral homes suing a big-time Canadian corporation that was trying to fleece him. The second is The Pigeon Tunnel, an Errol Morris documentary feature in which he attempts to get at the heart of the man behind some of the greatest spy novels ever written, the novelist known as John le Carré. Let's begin with something our resident lawyer, Mary Pat, knows something about. That would be The Burial, a film directed by Maggie Betts from a script she co-wrote with Doug Wright and Jonathan Haar that is based on a real-life court case dating back to the mid-90s. It was then that a 75-year-old man named Jerry O'Keefe, played by Tommy Lee Jones, a guy who owned a chain of Mississippi-based funeral homes, ran into financial trouble. Intent on raising funds, he agrees to sell a portion of his business to a Canadian conglomerate. But the handshake deal he makes with the conglomerate's head man, Raymond Lowen, played by Bill Camp, never materializes. A ploy Keefe's attorney, played by Alan Ruck, recognizes as a tactic to force O'Keefe to make a better deal. Then a young lawyer, played by Mamadou Athi, suggests that O'Keefe hire a slick Florida lawyer named Willie Gary, played by Jamie Foxx, and they all go to court. Much of what occurs offers few surprises, though it's fun to see Foxx's Gary duel with Lowen's team, led by Mame Downs, played by Journey Smollett. The real joy of the burial, though, is to watch two Oscar-winning actors, Fox and Jones, imbue their respective characters with an authentic sense both of hubris and brotherly harmony. Well, this is Maggie Betts's second film, and so we always wonder about those sophomore experiences. But, Dan, you mentioned this is a courtroom drama, at least in part, but it's also a story about relationships. So The Burial introduces us to these characters and sort of what's driving them early on. But it's only over time that we get a true sense of what their past experiences have been and how that has shaped their lives. So if we're talking about the legal part of it, it basically stays true to what happened in the real court case. There are some conflations and some differences that the director chooses to make. For example, the primary antagonist, at least for the courtroom scenes, is a woman who is leading the team for the Lewin Enterprise. And that person did not exist. So that's... The Journey Smollett character? Yes. Oh. Yeah, which is a pretty big difference. Yeah, because they're so specific about her background. You know, they're like, oh, she, for Justice O'Connor, she clerked for her. And so I assume yeah, yeah. Right. she no, was so a Harvard, Harvard trained. Oh, okay. yeah. so I'm that's learning stuff all, here. Right. So that's all fabricated, at least. And I'm not saying that there there was a conscious attempt on the part of the funeral home conglomerate to engage black lawyers once they figured out they were going up against Willie. And in some ways... Jamie Foxx plays this over the top, but given the real person, I think his performance was accurate. I mean, this is a guy who hustled through his whole life. So Willie Gary hustled through his whole life 
I'm not sure that the motivation for his going to law school is exactly the same as what is portrayed in that film. But, you know, he sort of talked his way onto the football field when he was in college. He goes to a traditionally black law school in North Carolina and then talks his way into his first job. When they're not able to keep him on at the public defender's office, then he hangs out his own shingle, which was pretty rare and risky, you know, at the time. But he had this magic with juries, and we're able to see that in the film. And so and he that was, doing was realistic. Mostly personal injury? Yeah, so mostly good? accident related cases, wrongful death, you know, those types of things. So he was an ambulance chaser, an actual it, ambulance well, chaser. Well, that would be one way of looking at it, Dan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he had a number of million dollar verdicts, which again, pretty significant. So I like Jamie Foxx's performance here. And apparently he wanted to have a little bit more of a nuanced performance, not do something that was so one note, just, you know, here's Willie, the big, you know, superstar litigator or whatever. And I think that we started to see that in his relationship with his wife and so forth. The other performances, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones just looked so beleaguered through the whole thing. And I think that was probably appropriate, too. I think that um, Ron Howard wanted to adapt this way back when. So I don't know if this would have been portrayed differently if the director weren't black and was, I guess, I think here there was a willingness to explore some of the racial and class themes in ways that might not have happened under other circumstances. Right, because as the burial goes on, we find out that basically what this company is doing, the corruption runs much deeper than this one handshake deal gone wrong. And we find that they have been exploiting mostly poor black communities yeah, for there financial was a, gain uh, a in a really horrific way. relationship with the National Baptist Conference. Yes, and yes. So it was really pretty disconcerting to learn that. Sure. Uh, and there was some that was changed a little bit, but it did underscore the sort of predatory nature of what was happening here involving burials, which mm-hmm. I think, especially in the black community, are important functions. I mean, we see that aspects in this film of the black church. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is reflected in sort of how everyone handles what's going on here, the sort of faith and connection that people have to community. One of the things I liked about The Burial is in so many of these kinds of movies, there's the feel-good part in terms of racial relationships. You know, the white guy realizes that, uh, oh, hey, black people are real. And, you know, even though I'm a Southerner and blah, 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 that could have been the case here. But Jones plays it so authentically. It's like there's never a sense that he's coming to some sort of big resolution in his life. He just accepts Willie Gary for Willie Gary, who he is. And then at one point in the movie, he fires him, but then he welcomes him back. His performance, Jones's performance, to me, is the basis of what goes on in the burial. It grounds it in authenticity, at least for me. Well, I meant to say this earlier, but I also don't think this movie's very good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's sort of my uh, coming in here at the last moment. I just feel like it is such a simplified, easy, crowd-pleasing version of what this story could be. I know it's based on a 1999 New Yorker article, which 
I have not read, but I imagine goes into the complexities of this case in a way the movie doesn't. I mean, there's a scene near the end where Jamie Foxx is kind of really digging into the Bill Camp character, who's the CEO that's been doing all of this horrific stuff. And the inspirational music swells on the soundtrack. And he's trying to get him in this gotcha moment about how much did you pay for your yacht? And I guess we're supposed to be on, obviously we're on Willie Gary's side because he's representing the defendant, but at the same time, it's like, well, this is a guy that owns a private jet. I don't know if I feel <laughs> like, wings he's, of justice. like he's some kind of underdog. At one mm-hmm. point he was. He isn't anymore. And I feel like the movie doesn't get into those gray area complications that would have made this story so much more interesting. And you look at the Journey Smollett character, who I just learned on air is a probably a fictional composite. But there's a moment near the beginning where she tells Jamie Foxx, I believe that my client is on the right side. And then as the film goes on, you can tell that she's starting to have doubts. And then by the end, it seems like she has completely swung to the other side. The movie doesn't really deal with any of that. And I just kept thinking, man, imagine how much more hard hitting and really nuanced this could have been if it hadn't have been going for the big kind of crowd pleasing moments. And it's possible the original version of this script could have been that because, as you mentioned, Maggie Betts, her first film, Novitiate, which we all liked a lot, right. was about this young nun in the 1960s kind of figuring out her place in the world and whether or not she actually wants to go through with this. And that had a lot of complexity to it. This doesn't. At the same time, when talking about the burial, I do agree with you that the Jamie Foxx performance is really good. And I was pulled along by this film, but I just kept wishing that it had been a little more hard hitting, even though that is maybe not the film it's trying to be. Perhaps not. And of course, the joke here for lawyers is the fact that this is at its essence a contract case, you know, whether this contracts should be performed and, you know, the time frame and so forth. And in the lawyering world, we often sort of split up litigation from transactional work. And so the Alan Ruck character, who's the original lawyer representing the Tommy Lee Jones character. Who is a contract lawyer. That is right, his specialty. Right. And yes. so he begins to appreciate more fully that, hey, contracts, you know, maybe they're mostly paper transactional work. But Now that we're in the courtroom, something else is needed. And so I like the performances across the board here. Yeah. Is it a cheesy lawyer trial movie? Sure. Uh, But that doesn't mean it's bad, Nathan. I didn't say it was bad. I said it wasn't very good. And there's a big difference there. Objections, anyone? Sustained? Sustained. And that was our discussion of the Amazon Prime streaming feature, The Burial. This is Movies 101, and it's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts and Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to talk about the documentary feature, The Pigeon Tunnel, which is playing at the Magic Lantern Theater. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Spokane Public Radio listener line. I'm remembering when you first started... I was working in the Spokane Peace and Justice Center. We were talking about this new public radio, and wasn't it great that public radio was coming to Spokane? And I've always been appreciative of public radio ever since. And I'm just so grateful for public radio. Thank you so much. 509-232-6904.
And we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinder, and I discussed The Burial. Let's turn now to The Pigeon Tunnel, another example of Errol Morris' documentary filmmaking, his exploration of the man known as the novelist Jean Le Carré. By now, Morris is well known for his filmmaking style, which blends both a head-on interviewing technique, courtesy of his signature Interatron device, and scene recreations with a sometimes haunting musical score, in this case contributed by Philip Glass and Paul Leonard Morgan. Then again, his subject this time is also well known, he being David Cornwell, better known by his pen name John Le Carré. Taking the title of his film from Le Carré's 2016 memoir, a book The Guardian critic Robert McCrum described as a, quote, strange, occasionally hilarious patchwork memoir, unquote, Morris reveals much about the author's upbringing, including the controversies involving his con man and inveterate liar father and the cold-hearted mother who abandoned him when he was barely five years old. In doing so, Morris gets Le Carré to admit, as he did in his memoir, that his tortured childhood led to his career as a real-life spy and as a best-selling fabulous telling tales of espionage and intrigue, a delving into mystery and deception that applied as well to his own life. In the end, I'm not sure we learned anything more about La Carre than he wants us to, despite Morris's efforts. But what we do learn should interest those who have enjoyed the fictional worlds of The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy, and any number of other Le Carre creations. Well, before I get into my feelings about The Pigeon Tunnel, I'll talk about my feelings about Errol Morris. Um, <laughs> I think we're all huge admirers here. I mean, I think of working documentarians, he's one of the most important. I mean, it's like him, Frederick Wiseman, Barbara Koppel, Werner Herzog. I mean, he's in that rarefied camp of yeah. people that have completely transformed how these kinds of movies are made and is still pushing his own there style. There were documentaries before ways. The Thin Blue Line and then documentaries after. Yes. I mean, and you could say the same thing about his breakout film, Gates of Heaven. I mean, mm-hmm. no other yeah. movie really quite looked like that at the time. And <laughs> it since inspired, you know, sort of a wave of right. imitators. But then after he made The Fog of War, which was his big Oscar winning profile of Robert McNamara, he's kind of been mostly focused on these one source personal portraits, which I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the time, even though I like The Fog of War. I sort of liked his Donald Rumsfeld film, but some of the more recent ones, the one that he did about the photographer Elsa Dorfman, the one he did about Timothy Leary's companion, Joanna Harcourt Smith, I thought were just frustratingly minor and really didn't get to the heart of the issues at hand. And I kind of felt the same way about The Pigeon Tunnel. It's sort of an extension of the Netflix miniseries that Morris made a few years ago called Wormwood, which was about the CIA and all of these experiments with LSD and things like that. And it that was like this big epic. And it kind of felt like a culmination of his fascination with morality and government conspiracy. And that certainly plays into the stories that John le Carre wrote and also the life that he actually led. But I think that Morris is just sort of working overtime to connect this guy's troubled relationship with his father to the themes in his books. But I think that Morris as a filmmaker and as a storyteller completely shortchanges 
the writing and the books. I have never read yeah. a John le Carre novel. I've seen some adaptations, so that's the extent of I, my I'm knowledge. I'm going to forgive you for um, this. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I'm sure if I was alive in the 1960s, I would have picked up huh? you know, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, Which for instance. Which is one of the great um, novels of the 60s. Tinker it's on Taylor my list. Tinker Spy. It, it's yes. on my list. So I felt left out in the cold by this movie because it almost felt like you needed to have a knowledge of – Jean Le Carre's repertoire I, before going into I, I totally into this. agree. And totally agree. on top of that, I think Morris's style, which is distinctively his own, gets in the way of the material here. He has deconstructed the traditional documentary form, and now it feels like he's deconstructing the deconstruction. And I was just really frustrated by especially the middle segment of this movie. John Le Carre's or Cornwell's actual life story and, you know, who he was, I think it's totally lost in this movie. I... I just wanted Morris – I hasten to say this, but I was sort of like, can't he just make a normal <laughs> documentary? Like I do think that there is part of this that should be educational to a certain extent. And I felt like despite no, it, some really wonderful moments – It felt like an insider's view, yes. Yeah. My hands kind of closed on air on this one. Well, I think that this is a – Film for the cognoscenti of the whole spy genre and certainly Le Carre, yeah. yeah, in particular. And I think part of what doesn't work here is exactly what you've identified. So Errol Morris has sort of made, at least after the Thin Blue Line, a name for himself of doing particular things in his documentaries, and it's almost he has a Rashomon style of presenting information, and then you're kind of wondering who's right, who's wrong, what did mm -hmm. we see, and so forth. But here, when you're dealing, as you point out, with one subject, I mean, he has all these sort of fake people that are like walking away and, you know, mysterious. Yeah, it's like uh, needlessly spy. convoluted. Right. Yeah. And I think that that did not work for this particular doc. And I think there was something to tell here in the Pigeon Tunnel. I mean, that in and of itself, I was still trying at the end to figure out the name, even though he explains where it comes from. I was like, really? I don't know. So there are just some things that don't come together here. And that's the frustrating part because he had a great subject. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, a yeah. great filmmaker, a great body of work. And, and, and a guy who rarely submits to interviews. Correct. Sitting down for perhaps the last interview of his yeah, life. Yeah, because he died. Like, he died yeah. soon afterwards. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think I was higher on the film than either of you two, but I share all the same frustrations. It is a film, as Mary Pat said, for people who know Le Carre, know the work, and it feels like a discussion between two old friends, and one is trying to get the other to talk about things he won't talk about. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in his memoir itself, as a lot of the reviewers had to say, it's confoundingly obtuse about so many things. And at one point, he refuses because there was a unauthorized biography that came out just this year of him that talks about all his sexual dalliances. And, you know, at one point, he makes it very clear, I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff. I'll talk about my dad. I'll talk about my mom. And that's but we much don't it. really know what prompted him to go into espionage. We don't know if he... no, we we don't know specifically. But the implication is that that whole childhood of being around a father who was a con man and having to live a duplicitous life made him the perfect person to be going into the espionage right, field and then taking that espionage and making it into literature. Right, and that's a, obviously an intriguing narrative right. there. But because Errol Morris has to tell it 
like out of order I, and I he's agree. like kind of moving the puzzle pieces around. It sort of just like complicates this thing that really isn't that complicated in the long run. And it's almost like he was worried that if he just told this from beginning to end in a chronological fashion, yeah. it would be too simple. Or it wouldn't yeah, be we didn't really enough. talk about his dad because his dad, yeah. you know, as you point well, out, was an infamous yes. con man. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that there was this love-hate relationship between the son and the father, and that obviously had an influence on everything that happened sure. thereafter. But one thing that did work in the film for me is Cornwell's Le Corre's ability or inability to really know himself. I mean, that is what he is struggling with, and that, I think, is what Morris is struggling to try to get him to look at. But here's a guy who made that whole inability to know himself into who he became. He didn't become David Cornwell, a writer. He became John Le Carre, an imagined self. And I will say two things that did stick with me in the Pigeon Tunnel that I thought were really powerful, actually, was Le Carre's anecdote about his mother who abandoned the family when he was young and this valise, this case that she carried around Mm -hmm. that became this big symbol in his own mind Mm -hmm. and he imagines in his mother's mind and sort of his discussion of his kind of final confrontation with her I thought was really bittersweet. And then all of his conversation, which Morris kind of glides over because I don't think he's very interested in it, but the whole discussion about how Le Carre finds his characters, where the inspiration comes from initially, and then how he allows them on the page as he's writing them to become these flesh and blood characters that people have connected with over the years. Mm-hmm. I thought all that stuff was great. And I mean, just listening to his voice, right. just the way he talks, his accent. I mean, he's a fascinating subject. And I still think that there could be yes. another completely different documentary I or agree. even biopic about this guy because there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Well, exactly. and I think that at one point somebody said this seemed like a discussion or a conversation among friends. So the pigeon tunnel. And it was because it does move away from Errol Morris's approach where you almost feel like he's interviewing, interrogating someone. Yes. And this is more conversational. Well, he does keep calling it an interrogation. Right, at some exactly. Point. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. And it's like he's trying to catch Lacare in these logical traps. Uh, and right, exactly. And here's a guy who's a trained interrogator, yeah. MI5 and MI6. So, yeah, it's not going to yeah. happen. So, at any rate, that was our discussion of The Pigeon Tunnel, the documentary by Errol Morris about the spy writer Jean Lacare. This is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster. And earlier in the show, Nathan Weinbinder, Mary Pat Truthart, and I discussed The Burial. Let's take this moment to thank Cassia Fox for both producing and engineering the show. And we thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, when we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from that master of the written word, Oscar Wilde. The truth is rarely pure and never simple. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.